Welcome to STR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming my friend Aiden. Aiden is a 27-year-old short-term rental investor based out in Orlando, Florida, recently retired from his W-2 job as an accountant, and currently has 42 units under management, 26 owned, 14 managed, as of March 2023. His company, Blue Gems, has a local meetup, podcast, and he co-hosts his other properties for investors. Welcome to the show. Man, Michael, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you out in Nashville. Yeah, definitely. It was it was great meeting you. We had some great conversations over breakfast, which I love to dive in more on for just for my benefit, and actually for the audience. But before we start, you have a very big portfolio. You must have some crazy stuff that happened. So, what is the most memorable experience you've had this year managing your properties? Yeah, it's funny because my craziest story was actually my first property. So it was a long term rental that it's it was a short term rental that's now a long term rental that I bought back in March 2020. So around COVID times. I was still working at the time, so I was sitting at my W-2 job. I get a I get a message from our guest saying that she was checking out early, asking for a refund. So I'm like, hey, is everything okay? You know, what's going on? And then I get a bunch of ring notifications, and I'm not, I wasn't one to be checking cameras or anything like that, but I happened to check the camera because I was concerned about her messaging me about this refund. And as I'm checking the camera, I see her husband taking our TV out of the front door. So he was actually stealing our TV. So come to find out he takes this tv he brings it to a pawn shop and he tried to pawn it for drugs so i have to get the cops involved the cops are actually at the property waiting for him to come out to arrest him so he was actually wanted for a different crime and ended up serving two two years in prison because what happens when you steal property and actually pawn it it's actually a felony compared to just a misdemeanor if he was to steal a tv just for personal use long story short the police are there the the wife comes back there's an altercation in my front driveway oh it was gosh. absolutely the craziest story that i'll probably ever have on airbnb getting police <laughs> involved getting a felon involved and having my tv stolen that i ended up having to buy back I had to go to the pawn shop and actually buy my own TV back, which I thought was the craziest part of the story. I ended up paying $50 for a TV that I ended up technically already owned. Long story short, that didn't stop me from then going on to build my portfolio to, to 42 units today. Yeah, that's a crazy that's a crazy story, especially <laughs> for your first rental. Did that, did that dissuade you at all? I think for people that don't have short-term rentals, those kind of stories are actually a big thing that hold people back. They're squatters, you know, stealing from you. How did you manage that situation? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, right? Because I, I think it would have dissuaded a lot of people. For me, I had already had a business, so I understood the cost of doing business and that problems are going to arise and I need to stay focused on the end goal. And I think really what also helped was that Airbnb, they took my side. So I got all the money back for the TV. I got additional damages for cleaning and they were very helpful in the claims process. And I had a ton of evidence, right? I had the whole thing on video. With yeah. the ring camera so I had all my ducks in a row but I think had that first claim not gone my way and, and Airbnb didn't take my side I probably would have had a different opinion but I think because I was able to recoup all of my costs I was able to go on about my day and continue to scale from there yeah now that's uh, and that's why I'm a big proponent of Airbnb you know there are people that have had not great experiences especially from the host side but the air cover program in my experience at least nine out of 10 times they will side with me and maybe you don't get the full requests. For instance, sometimes if you have a, we had a broken couch, for example, maybe a, a, two weeks ago and 
we we filed for the reimbursement and paid like 800 bucks for it. And they came back and said, we're going to be 600 because it's a year old and that's depreciation. I'm like, okay, well, look, I get it, right? We bought a new couch and 800 bucks, so we lost 200 overall. That, it's like a reasonable thing. So it is helpful that to have Airbnb on your side, the liability insurance for them to check the check the guest background. You always get paid. There are definitely benefits of using Airbnb, but... Yeah, it definitely has its downsides too. So let's talk about, maybe let's transition the conversation to your portfolio. I have 26 units, we're about 30 now actually, in Philly and in Tennessee. 42 units, that's a great portfolio. Tell us generally where they located and you know how do you decide between, or talk to us about the growth of your own portfolio versus your managed portfolio. Yeah, so I started as a long-term rental guy. So I bought my first property back in 2020. It was a duplex. I lived in one side, running out the other, aka the the house hacking strategy, as the Bigger Pockets community calls it. But I learned pretty early on that I was going to need so many properties to to be able to leave my W two right. Even though I was only making six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month, I wasn't making a crazy salary back then as a entry level accountant. But even still, if I was only netting a hundred, two hundred dollars a month per door. I would need 30, 40 doors. And it just sounded not something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to scale this multifamily portfolio to 100 doors. So short-term rentals was that shiny object for me. It was like, wow, you can maybe net $1,000, $2,000 per month with a short-term rental. And I took the same approach as my long-term rental purchase and I did the house hack model again. So I actually built an ADU in my backyard. That was a... a, I felt like that was a risk-free way for me to get into the short-term rental game, right? I was already paying the mortgage. I was like, hey, can I have this ADU actually cash flow while I'm still living in the main home? So the rehab went over budget. Everything everything was more expensive in, in 2020 and 2021 as construction costs were going up. But at the end of the day, I had my I had my ADU built out. It's been on Airbnb for almost a year now. It's been booked all but one night and it does around 4K in, in revenue a month and my mortgage is two grand. So I'm cash flowing in my primary residence and that gave me the proof of concept to then go and buy other properties more traditionally with DSCR loans, vacation home loans. And then now we're moving more into the creative finance space where we're looking to buy properties with seller financing subject to maybe even a combination of both. And then the co-hosting side is like our arbitrage model. So I know Michael, you're in the arbitrage space. We Our motto with arbitrage is that Coasting is like arbitrage without the furniture. So we're be, we're basically able to take 20% of the gross revenue and scale our portfolio that way. And really we had to build out the management side of the company regardless. When you get to 10, 15, 20 properties, you need a team and you need an infrastructure built out. So our thought process was why not manage for others if we're going to have to build out the whole team anyway. Currently we have five VAs, we have an operations manager, we have three CEOs. So it's a whole, it's a whole operation. And so it just made right. sense to keep scaling with other people's properties as well. Yeah. And that's great. I, I, you know, the co-hosting side, it's actually something we had done before in New York for friends. We, I think eventually shied away from it, but that's, I think there are different ways of growing a portfolio. I think that's a really smart way. So let's, why don't we, why don't we could focus on that for now? How many units do you co-host? 
so 16 and we're predominantly in Disney with our co-hosting business. So, you know, a lot of people don't like buying in Disney because the cash flow is minimal. The price to revenue ratios aren't great. I actually 100% agree. We don't own a lot in Disney for that reason. We prefer to buy elsewhere. But from a management perspective, we find that a lot of our clients just want to break even, right? So they want to buy a, a second home, if you will, for personal use. They're okay making a little bit of cash flow. And really our value proposition competing with these big companies like Vacasa and Evolve is that our cost is basically zero because we can drive revenue and reduce OPEX by 20% collectively. And so even though you're paying us 20%, our net cost is zero because we're driving more revenue and reducing your costs. And so the pitch to the clients is pretty easy. And then when they see our own portfolio, they see our reviews, they see how many markets we're in, they're very confident in our ability to execute. And so it's a pretty easy sell, but from the coasting side, yeah, predominantly in Florida. So of the 16, I think all but three are in Florida, and then we have one in one in Texas, one in Colorado, and one in Arizona. Got it. Okay. Let's focus on the Disney portfolio. So that's is that kind of mainly Kasimi, or is it? Yeah, Kissimi yeah. So so what? a lot of people a lot of people say Orlando, but technically Orlando is illegal for short term rentals. The actual city of Orlando. And so when we say Orlando, we mean Davenport and Kissimmee. And basically, there your your avatar is going to be families going to Disney. That's pretty much all it is. That's the bread Got and butter. It. And then are there any restrictions in, Dav in Davenport or in Kissimmee? Nope. And yeah. it's interesting too, because a lot of the, a lot of the properties are in HOAs. And I know as investors, you and I tend to shy away from HOAs, but in these communities, some of them actually don't allow for primary residence owners, right? So right. it's only vacation rentals. And so the HOA becomes a non-factor because they're actually voting in favor of short-term rentals. And so it's a unique market from that perspective in the sense that the HOA is actually our friend and the amenities in the community become assets to our properties versus in other markets where we shy away from HOAs. Yeah, no, de definitely. We looked at stuff too. And We'll only consider we'll even we'll only consider HOAs where majority of the owners are actually were short term rentals. We've looked into Poconos, some of San Antonio as well. So if it's mostly primary, we actually will we won't buy there because it's just the risk is too high. They can always change the rules, so just a simple vote. Okay, so there's no there's no restrictions on there. Most of your clients are just looking yeah, which makes sense, right? I think a lot of people if you're doing this professionally like me and you, we need to earn a return on that capital. That's our Correct. that's our meal ticket. But if you are just if it's just one home and you don't want to deal with it and you don't want a big company to manage it, a smaller operator that's more focused, like you guys is definitely the right solution. And then so twenty percent, how do when you're talking about increasing revenue, lowering OPEX, are you talking tell us about that? Like, I think on the revenue setting for most people be interested. How do you do better than a Vacasa or a Evolve? Yeah, great question. So revenue management, that's pretty much my job in the company. So we have an operations manager to tackle a lot of the day-to-day -day with maintenance issues and freeing up my time to focus on driving more revenue to these owners. So we use Price Labs. That's just a 
basically a, a dynamic pricing tool. And I think what's interesting to note is that when we compare to Vacasa and Evolve, who don't use any dynamic pricing softwares, they're not checking it every single day. I think that's really the biggest difference, right? It's how much time are you spending on your pricing strategy? So we're spending at least an hour a day tracking our occupancy, tracking our rates with the competition. We have comp sets for every single property in Price Lab, so we're able to see based on our avatar and the guests that we're trying to attract, what is our competition charging and is our competition currently booked? Because that's really the only thing that you should be comparing yourself to, your competition. It's really hard for, you know, me to compare my Disney properties to your properties in the Smokies or any other market, right? Because there's so much seasonality, there's so much different changes that can happen on the revenue side. So for us, it's really creating that comp set and spending a lot of time in the day-to-day -day changing pricing and changing our strategy overall. We're also very big on length of stay discounts. So we use that heavily on the Airbnb side where we offer discounts for three, four or five night stays to get that SEO boost and drive more traffic to our listings. And then we're also on Verbo and booking.com. I think a lot of hosts aren't even on other OTAs aside from Airbnb. And then when you add the direct booking site on top, we're getting a lot of traffic to our listings through those different platforms. Yeah, that's a great point. The two things I want to click on too there, a lot of people, they have a lot of people need to figure out how to get their inventory onto not just Airbnb. Airbnb makes it really simple, but my business is we're only 60% Airbnb. Everything else is VRBO, booking.com, Expedia, direct bookings. And it's hard. It's not easy to do. You have to figure out some technology there. For anyone listening that has listings, and I'm getting messages on my DMs too about people struggling a little bit. The first question I ask is, are you on Airbnb? What other platforms are you on? And just say they're on Airbnb. Look, you are missing a huge amount of population that just doesn't go on Airbnb for whatever reason. I think the second part is revenue management. I mean, we, we use Price Labs, we use Rank Breeze. We use AirDNA actually to look at booking patterns as well, just to make sure that tracking occupancy over the next four months, or sorry, four weeks, just to see how much demand is there and how do we adjust our pricing strategy. So that's another thing. That's why I think with, for hosts that have one or two properties, it's almost like a second job, right? It, there's a lot of things to do and it really makes sense. I think after a certain time, you either do you scale or do you get out? Because it's a lot of work to really optimize a property and to the extent that it's not your full-time full-time job. I think for a lot of people, sometimes it doesn't actually make sense because there's just the competition is so much greater now and co-hosting, finding a bigger company to, to manage your property is, is more the ideal state. And I think for people that are interested in co-hosting, how have you been able to get, I think the biggest part of co-hosting is getting new clients. And maybe actually pause there for a moment. For us, the reason why we don't like, not we don't like, but we've moved away from it is the co-hosting to me is having two bosses. It's having your guests and, and then the dealing owner. with the property owner, the owner. Yep. And you can't VA out a owner. They have your personal cell phone, they call you. And for some of the owners, sometimes it's their baby. That's their, it's their, it's a huge investment for them. And they're tracking it, especially if they've, if they self-managed it before, some of the stories I've heard, they're just on you. And that's why we've gone away from it. It's, you know, so I want to hear your perspective. How is that managing? Maybe you have 14 owners, maybe you have fewer because they own a few properties with you. How do you deal with that? 
Yeah, it's a great point. And we've created basically a set criteria that we follow for whether or not we want to take on an owner. And the first thing is whether or not they're going to make money. We don't want to take someone on that wants to make money and we know that we cannot deliver after the 20% fee. Because a lot of times you got to remember that the margin is in the 20%. A lot of properties don't have a 30, 35% profit margin. And so as soon as you go into management fees, you're basically removing all the profit. And so we're very clear with our owners and we actually send them pro formas and say, hey, here's what we expect to make on the property. If you're not comfortable with this amount, then we shouldn't move forward with this arrangement. It doesn't matter how nice the property is or whether it's in a market that we want to manage in it has to make sense for the owner and for us now the caveat to the point about the disney market is we have some owners who don't care about cash flow they care more about time right and so their argument is hey i'm gonna pass on the management to you but i don't want to be bothered at all and so i agree with not being able to outsource owner communication to a va but our ops manager has done a lot of communication with owners and we have set up processes to basically just set expectations like, hey, we're going to keep majority of communication through email. Our response time is going to be within 24 hours. You can't be calling us on a Saturday and a Sunday night if it's not an emergency yeah. because there's really just no need for that. We have control of your property. We're sending them monthly statements. We're tracking the revenue. We're sending them all of the financials, which at the end of the day is really what matters. They don't need to be involved in who we're hiring for the plumbing issue or how our VAs are responding. To, to guest communication as long as the reviews are solid the property is maintained and it's cash flowing those are really the three metrics that we teach them on that actually matter because the rest is just personal preference so you michael you're a great operator you might have different systems in place than myself but it doesn't really matter as long as we're both performing at the same high level and i think that's really smart on your side is that expectation setting early on i think for for any of the aspiring co-hosts out there, that's really important to get that down or not. You're gonna be getting those Sunday night calls to review the week of the property and, and that's just not scalable. And we've fired um, owners, right? We've gotten rid of owners yeah. for that reason. We've, as we've scaled our coasting business, we've gotten even more picky on not only the owners, but the type of property that we wanna manage. So we're looking for properties that are gonna be able to perform in the 70th, 50, 75th percentile or better, right? We don't wanna be managing average properties in average markets because the revenue will be lower, but also we want the properties that we manage to look like the property properties that we own, which are also high performers. So it's keeping the balance between the co-hosting side, but then also the properties that we own and making sure that there's very minimal difference between the two. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's a great segue to the properties that you own. You own, I'm sorry, remind me again, how many do you own? 26. And that's between 26. You know, full transparency. That's between me and my partner. So I have two business partners who are absolutely incredible, JB and Julie. Block, and they actually scaled to eight properties before I came on. So I was involved in the other 18 in, in, in some capacity, whether it be through equity partnerships or seller financing or taking over a property subject to. We've pretty much used every, sing, every single method that you can think of to scale. We've done it, even house hacking. And our thought process as we move into 2023, as interest rates start going up, we're looking at the 
debt and the mortgage as the asset in some cases. So we're actually trying to take over or get seller financing on properties where the interest rate is more attractive than we can find on the open market with a DSCR lender. And the reason for that is because we want to keep our returns similar to what we were able to get in 2021, 2022, when interest rates were below 7 8% on these commercial products. Yeah. That's a great point. And, you know, that's, we do, we don't use those creative financing strategies, but definitely very powerful, especially in a higher interest rate environment. But I think, but what I want to talk about more is just where do you, like out of these 26, where do you guys own actually? Yeah. So again, we're going to, we're going to keep harping on Florida. We absolutely love Florida. So we own in Clearwater, Largo, we own in Vero Beach, we own in Hollywood, we own in Tennessee, so we have two new construction cabins in the Smoky Mountains, and then we're also in Scottsdale and Phoenix. So we actually just closed on a property in Scottsdale last week. So very, very, very excited to enter that market. We love Arizona. We love the regulations there. We love that it's business friendly. We love Florida for similar reasons. One of my favorite things about Florida that I think a lot of investors miss out on is the seasonality pretty much every month but september is going to have a lot of traction and i think that's different than some of these seasonal markets like the smokies or big bear where you're going to have very slow months even destin and the west coast of florida so we try to find properties that are busy all year round and we use that to our advantage so that cash flow is coming in at all times because remember with this being our full-time jobs, this is how we're able to eat and feed our families. So we need to make sure these properties are cash flowing pretty much all year round. Yeah, no, agreed. And that's our model too. We like low seasonality markets. And our, our experience in the Smokies is like January and February are slow, but generally we're able to make money out of the 10 months out of the year. But let's talk more. So you most, most of your inventory is in Florida. How do you underwrite? I want to talk about that because you're, you're obviously a numbers guy, former accountant. How do you think about, and I think for me, the big, the most important part of underwriting is getting the gross revenue correct. If you can get the revenue correct, you can make mistakes on, you cannot be really accurate on the expenses generally, but they're not going to sink your deal. But if you're 10% off on a revenue, you can be, you'll, you're going to be in big problem. You're going to be in big trouble. But if you're 10% off on an expense item, you'll probably be okay if you have your revenue down. So talk to us on how do you do that? How do you find... How do you triangulate? For that, let's talk about that Phoenix property that you just closed on. How, we'll, walk us through your underwriting process there. So yeah, I love, I love, I absolutely love your point around getting the revenue correct because I think that's also the hardest part. I think a lot of new investors they learn about AirDNA, Data Rabu, Price Labs, but the problem is as all these softwares are going to have variances of their own. Our approach, and we've learned this just from more experienced investors, is taking the entire data set, whether you pull it from AirDNA, pull it from Price Labs, Mashpfizer, it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is create a comp set that very closely matches what our property is going to be. So if it has a pool, I also want to know, is, is the pool heated? Is there a hot tub? What is the design like? Is there a game room? So a lot of these, a lot of these revenue and projection tools, especially the rentalizer on AirDNA, when anyone tells me they use the rentalizer, I automatically know their revenue is way off because the problem is that it's not taking into consideration things like design, things like the game room, the, even the layout, the amount of people that you can sleep. And so what we're doing basically is just spending hours on end trying to create the perfect comp set 
And then we know if we could have five properties within a one, two mile radius of our subject property that is matching all the criteria that we've laid out, we know within a reasonable doubt, it'll do within five to 10% of the same revenue. And then once you have the revenue to your point, all we're doing is basically using the OPEX percentage across our portfolio to underwrite on the expense side. So across the 26 properties, we average around a 38% OPEX ratio without a management fee. So we know that we're gonna fall between 32 to 40, depending upon the market. And so you figure if you have your revenue correct and you have your OPEX percentage, you're gonna know within a reasonable doubt how much your net profit margin is. Yeah, no, agreed. And we took a very similar approach. And we generally use AirDNA. How do you, I guess just on AirDNA, how do you find that? Because obviously the kind of issue is you're going to, some of the data is not good. They'll have a very low effective occupancy rate. It just means that the time that AirDNA is able to scrape the data isn't that maybe it's 10, 15% of the overall year. How do you go and really get granular? Do you buy the data set and go through and, and remove the stuff that's not applicable? Do you click through every single listing? Just for the listeners, just so that you get a sense of a professional's approach to doing this versus using... So a lot of you use Rentalizer, which isn't correct. Correct. You're either not going to do a deal or your deal is going to be wildly optimistic. I've never found it to be particularly accurate. What's interesting about the Rentalizer, and I don't want to keep putting your DNA under the bus because I think it's still a great tool depending upon how you use it. But what we found in the co-hosting side is we'll have a lot of owners come to us and they're saying, hey, I'm not able to make money. And I asked them, my first question is, okay, how much did you pay? And then what was your projected revenue? And how did you project that revenue? And a lot of them that aren't making money tell me that they use the rentalizer. So that tells me all I need to know about the people that bought the wrong properties. They're just using the wrong tool. So what we do is very manual, you know, be fully transparent. We take all of the listings and we filter out anything that was available for less than 300 days. We don't even want to look at it. We consider it bad data. Anything with less than 20 reviews, we're also kicking out. And then we also look at the review gaps, right? So we know that if there's gaps in the reviews, whether it's, let's say it's January, 2023, we don't see another review until April, 2023. That tells me that there could have been some element of owner use or the owner blocking the calendar. Now, of course it could have been a verbal booking. It could have been a direct booking, but the likelihood is pretty low. And so generally speaking, we just also throw out listings that have too many gaps in the reviews. And that creates our clean data set. And then once we have the clean data set, we go through and we rate the properties based on the design, whether or not it has a heated pool, whether or not it has a hot tub. Price Labs can do some of those things, AirDNA cannot. It depends on what tool you're using. But at the end of the day, your design has to be the same, your amenities have to be the same. And that's the only way to get a true revenue projection, in my opinion. Yeah, hey, for people that are listening, that is really important to do. And Aiden, thanks for sharing that. I think that's, if you want to do underwriting correctly, that is a great first step to do everything that Aiden just said there. You're going to be ahead of nine out of 10 people doing this. And look, it's a huge investment for you. Do not be intellectually lazy and just use Rentalizer and ask a few folks and make a 500, $800 million investment. You've worked too hard to put your family's financial future on the line by not doing all the work that you could be doing to, to getting that right. How to, 
Actually, I don't use, I'm actually I'm curious on this question, because I don't actually use Price Labs for underwriting as much. I have, separate, I have a different approach. How do you use Price Labs to, in combination with AirDNA in your underwriting yep. before we move on? So I use the market dashboards and you're able to basically download all of the listings and the projected revenue. And then what I actually do is I take AirDNA data and Price Labs data and I compare how much the variance is between the two. And if one of them is way off, let's say Price Labs is saying that the property did 20k more than air dna i dig deeper into that listing so if it has more than a 10 percent variance i want to know why the data might be off and then i'll have to figure out which one i think to be more reasonably accurate the last thing that we do it's pretty much known as the enemy method we'll just go into the airbnb calendar and start looking at the actual rates and does that rate make sense based upon what air dna and price labs are telling us now of course the challenge with that is depending upon when you're pulling the data if it's in peak season yeah your ADR is going to be way off. And that's when it becomes important to know the seasonality, right? So I want to know that if I'm looking at the data in July in Florida, July is a great month for Florida. So I need to make sure that I'm discounting the rate slightly because on an annual basis, the revenue is going to be lower than what July is telling me. That's interesting. I use the enemy method as well. I think it's popularized by our friends at the short-term shop. So shout out to Avery and Luke. I don't look at rates actually because it was exactly what you said and you don't know maybe that all the higher rates are already booked out better properties get booked out and they don't they're not going to show up on your search i just feel like that sample size is too small there's just way too much noise in that what i do use the enemy method for is kind of the other part of what you said i'll look at i'll actually go read the reviews and if i'm going to buy the area like what are some you know are there things that people love about it or things that people hate about it just so i know is it next to a car wash for example something i looked at it's like a crossing room car wash and i read some complaints about that I was like, i don't really that's not something i want to buy into and, and deal with but it's great like everyone uses not to say mine is right or wrong but uses these kind of tact kind of overall strategies and then you find like what tactic in there works for your system mine can be different from yours but we're using it in different ways to come to the same answer is this a great property for me to invest in but i think the lesson is using these data resources out there and constructing triangulating a picture for yourself on what that revenue is is this an investable property that's really going to maximize your probability of success like no one can predict the future it's not going to be it's not going to hit exactly what we project but we at least are playing the putting the odds in our favor that it's going to be close to that and then we've already done the work to make sure we have the operating team and everything else that we can execute those numbers that we're projecting so it's great. It's great to meet a fellow kind of numbers person. <laughs> I was and that's why when we had breakfast together in Nashville, I really enjoyed the conversation with you. No, absolutely. Uh, as we kind of, as we wrap up the conversation, how are you looking at twenty? We're a third away into twenty three and getting to twenty four with the economy the way it is. It's still fairly strong, to be fair. There is some weakness, but. I wouldn't say we're in a recession. Rates have come down a little bit. We're low sixes now, at least on the conventional side. Um, we had these kind of bank, we had the big banks care. We seem to be going, coming out of it okay. Recording this kind of mid-April, mid-April 2023. Just how are you looking, I know, and I know you just bought in Phoenix. How are you looking at growth from your co-hosting business, from your own business for the next 12 months? Yeah, I think three three main points here. I think the first point, and this is part of our underwriting process, is can we break even if revenue were to go down 20%? I sleep very well at night if I know that if I'm projecting 100K in revenue for 2023, if it dipped to 80, 
could I still at least break even? Because I want to be able to pay my mortgages as we continue to scale, right? That's going to be a big thing. I think point number two would be the shift in the market to where elite operators like you and I start to take more of the market share. I think we're seeing a lot of talk about the Airbnb bust, and that's just not impacting people like you and I. We're at 82% occupancy. Our revenue is up year over year. We're just doing things that other operators are not. And I think as competition increases, the likelihood of you and I succeeding actually becomes higher because the people at the bottom of the barrel are just going to get weeded out because they're not doing the things that it takes to in 2023. Back in 2019, you could buy a property, throw grandma's furniture in there and pretty much cash flowing. That's just not the case in 2023. So I think as we move into 2024, people like you and I have an advantage because we're elite operators and we're taking the pro approach of a business and not just a hobbyist trying to make additional money on the side. And the last point about the interest rate, I think that for us, we are starting to look at properties that are making a lot of money and we're caring less about the interest rate. What I mean by that is we're trying to focus on luxury in the sense that it might not hit our 10, 12, 15% cash on cash return requirement, but it's going to make us a lot of money per month. And as, as we're buying properties, generally speaking, it's the same amount of effort to manage a three bedroom versus a four bedroom versus a five bedroom. So it's like, how many properties can we buy for a million dollars that are going to do over 200 K or how many properties can we buy for 2 million? That'll do 400 K and trying to shift our focus to making more money on our time. So our new metric is what is our ROI on my time investment? Less so about cash flow, less so about the interest rates, less so about cash on cash return, more so about my time investment into all these deals. Because as you start scaling, it becomes a process just to manage your deal flow and all your opportunities as you're trying to buy more and more properties. Exactly. And I love the way that you're incorporating that into your, your underwriting. I see people out there with a lot of units, 100, 200, 300, 400 units. And then I look at the ADRs and they're like $100 a night, $120 a night. And look, and that's great. Like that's a great part of Airbnb. A lot of you can be successful in a lot of different ways. But for me, doing $100 a night ADR paying, it's just, it, it, there's so much time involved in that. And you're just not making, it's hard to make a really good investment if you're only making $100 a night. Let's just say the dollar margin isn't there. The percent margin might be nice, but the dollar margin isn't there. The other and thing to add to that, right, is you and I, we have fixed costs per property. So we have virtual assistants, we have our ops manager, we have softwares, and we have expenses. So on average, we pay pretty much $350 per property per month just to have it on Airbnb. And that's between Price Labs, Rank Breeze, our overhead, our employees. And so I can't afford to have a property doing $80 ADR because <laughs> I have too many costs associated with that property. That's different than Aiden Grohl who invested back in 2020 where I had no costs and I was happy just making 100 bucks extra on Airbnb. So we've had to change our business model as we've scaled because our costs have increased dramatically. Exactly. Yeah. Look, it's the growth curve and you guys have done a fantastic job. Before we hit the final question, I do want to, I do want to touch on the Airbnb bus meme and I very much am of that same camp. If you bought a property and you don't really, and you're not putting in the full effort, those are the ones that are suffering right now because you're competing against professionals that this is our full-time job and we spend 
hours and hours with full teams that are dedicated to making sure our pricing is right. All the reviews are five stars. Just everything that we put into property to, to make them special. And if you're not in that level right now, you have to up your game. If not, you're going to be left behind because that competition for the middle part of the curve is being that much more intense. And it's what I call bad competition because then the only way that you're going to compete is on price. And there's only so far you can cut before you just never invest in your property. And then your guests have bad experience. And it's kind of, it's this death spiral of bad reviews, lower prices, bad reviews, lower prices, where at a certain point you're going to be like for people throwing their hands up and say, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm not making money. I'm dealing with bad guests that are ruining my property all the time. And the juice is not worth the squeeze. It really, we're, we're getting close to an inflection point where you're going to have to decide if this is something that you're very serious about. You're going to invest the time and the capital to do, or you leave it to a professional or you sell the property. I think we're getting closer to that point. So my, my, my traditional kind of final question I ask, I ask all my guests is like short-term rentals is a team sport. We rely on each other to learn the business, to, to optimize the business. What's something that someone, what's the kindest thing that someone's done for you along your journey that's really helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, I'll have to attribute my success to influencers like yourself who have been able to give back to the community through content, through education. Because if at the end of the day, you and I wouldn't be in the place we are today without the people before us that were willing to share what they learned. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes, and now I'm trying to help even our students. We started a coaching program where we're trying to help people not make the same mistakes that you and I have. And so that's what I would say about my journey. I think I'll just give all the credit to the people before me, people who went and spent the time to educate the communities on their journey and their success to not only inspire us, but show us how to do it correctly and to create true business out of it. Yeah. Now, we stand on the shoulders of giants, so I very much agree with you. It's uh, There's just a lot to learn, and I think that's another great part about the short-term rental community. If you just ask questions, people are out there. They're more than willing to help you, but just ask. Just be out there. Be active. And if people ask you, also just be generous and, and kind with your time. Hey, thank you very much for spending the last 30 minutes with me. I really enjoyed this conversation and look forward to great things to come. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate the time.